Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads, generally, for most people, are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hi, this is Billie Jean King. This is Marion Bartoli. I'm Mats Wilander. This is Mary Carrillo. I'm Sandra Winka. I'm Leighton Hewitt. I'm Andy Murray. This is Yannick Noah, and you're listening to the Tennis Podcast. Well, we're back. We're going to be saying that a lot over the next fortnight. We're back. We've had very varying quantities of sleep at very different times. I think just as I was heading off to sleep, David Law's internal solihole body clock was awaking him for Dan Evans' big moment. Uh, meanwhile, Matt and I stayed up late to watch Garbini Muguruza against Ash Barty in the final of the Yarra Valley Classic. Nailed it. I'm never going to have to say that again after today. Um, yeah, it's uh, it's a taste of what's probably to come over the next 14 days. David getting no sleep and being inexplicably pumped at 9.30 in the morning on a Sunday. How are you doing, David? I'm all right. I've been up since 3.49. I feel great. <laughs> yep, he does, folks. It's annoying. Matt, how are you doing? I think I'm somewhere in between you two. <laughs> Matt's Uh, already had to sort of referee a couple of me coming up with lots of ideas that I think are great because I'm really, really pumped up. And Catherine thinking, do we have to do it? Can we just do that another time? Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's 9.30 on a Sunday. Mm -hmm. You be the judge of who's in the more appropriate mood. (laughs) Um, Full disclosure, while I watched all of Ash Barty against Garbini Muguruza and loved it, um, as you can probably tell, I've only been up half an hour on this fine Sunday morning, and I don't even know the results of the other two finals that we had overnight. I made the executive decision that I I could have uh, I could have looked up the results, but I decided that I would have the reveal live on the podcast because David watched both matches: Yannick Sinner against Karen Hatchinov in the final of the Great Ocean Road Open and Dan Evans against Felix auger Aliassime in the final of the Murray River Open. Nailed it. Yeah, that's trophy, isn't it? Oh. <laughs> and I hate to be the person who does this, but it was also Yannick Sinner against Stefano Travaglia in the final. <laughs> it's early. Really early. What happened to Karen Hatchinov? That was yesterday. Yeah, that was yesterday. All right, so he, he was knocking about in the Great Open Correct. Road, Ocean Road Open. He was in the latter stages. We yeah. jumped the gun and started anticipating, didn't we, a Hatchinov thinner final? No, Sinner beat Hatchinov in the semis. <laughs> Not if we'd seen the draw, we didn't. <laughs> <laughs> but was that a good match? Here's the Great thing, Catherine. I, I would was say mm. Sinner Hatchinov is very much part of the narrative here because that match took three hours and seven minutes yesterday. Oh, wow. And was, I mean, first of all, should say that Sinner played twice on Thursday, then he played three hours and seven minutes on Friday. And I thought it, it was, I mean, he should have beaten him a lot earlier, uh, but, you know, he didn't. And, then Sinner's come out today and he's played, I'm not sure how long, maybe an hour and a half to two hours uh, in beating Stefano Travaglia, who was also, I mean, they both looked out on their feet for the whole wow. match. They both were, it was like they were in slow motion between the points. They were working their tails off in the points as much as they could. But they were, I mean, this is a really interesting talking point because tomorrow night, on the first day of the Australian Open, Yannick Sinner is playing a best-of-five-set match against Denis Shapovalov, which is arguably on paper the 
hardest and most exciting match in the tournament in the first round on the men's side. And yet Sinner has just won this tournament playing four matches in three days and looking out on his feet, to be honest. He did incredibly well. It was He showed glimpses of his talent, but this was just a who-could-stumble-over-the-line job. Um, I mean, he's 19. Maybe he'll be okay to recover. But with all these players that have been pulling out of tournaments who are contenders in their own mind, I think, for the Australian Open as much as being injured, I'm sure one or two of them are more seriously injured, I would say this is quite quite an interesting storyline in itself to follow. Yeah, and quite interesting that he is on the schedule tomorrow at the Australian Open. Obviously, it's his side of the draw, so he's playing. In the women's tournament, Garbina Muguruza, who played yesterday, has seemingly been given an extra day. She is not on tomorrow's schedule. She played uh, overnight against Ash Barty in the final. They've given her an extra day. I guess they can do that because they wouldn't want to have two men playing back-to-back five-set matches over the if you know if you were meant to play Monday delayed to Tuesday then have to play Wednesday so that would be back-to-back five-set matches for the winner of that first round whereas they can afford a bit more flexibility with the best of three sets in the women's tournament a little bit but yeah it's it's going to be very tough on Yannick Sinner I didn't see the final against Travaglia but as, as David says, it's at sounds... least you knew it happened, Matt. <laughs> it does it does sound like he was really knackered, but still, his his tennis is absolutely where he wants it to be. He was he was excellent against Hachinov in the semi final. As David says, he probably should have finished it off a little bit sooner. That match is becoming a really good rivalry. They've played two matches, mm. both of them finishing in deciding set tie breaks. Um, and Sinner had the lead in all the sets, and he. He kept losing the lead and then still managing to win two of the three sets. He sort of reminded me of that Mary Carrillo quote that uh, he choked and he won anyway. I don't know. I don't know whether he completely choked, but he slightly let the pressure get to him a little bit and then managed to overcome himself and win. And uh, yeah, a couple of interesting lines from the ATP stats are that he's the youngest player to win two ATP titles since Djokovic. And he's the youngest player to win back-to-back tournaments on the ATP Tour since Nadal. So that is wow. the sort of company you, you uh, very much want to be keeping. And he was one of the Adelaide quarantiners. I hate to... Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm, I'm the person that's always going to be harping on about this, but I am very interested to, to, to bookmark uh, those, those that were in hard quarantine, those that were in Adelaide and those that were in, in Betweensville. Uh, and Yannick Sinner was, of course, in Adelaide quarantine, partnering Rafael Nadal. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I'd be very interested to know, by the way, what the view of Riccardo Piatti, Sinner's coach, is about him playing the way he is here. I mean, my my guess is that he just thinks you've got to build an athlete, you've got to build a competitor, you've got to build the constitution of somebody who can handle these back-to-back days and matches, you know, the way Dominic team did for a while, you know. And maybe um, he thinks, look, you know, Sinner might be ready for a, a big breakthrough in a big moment, but realistically, he's he's not going to win the Australian Open, is it? This preparation yeah. is not gearing him up for a two-week stint. It, no. It's not quite the same approach as it is for the very, very top guys. Yeah. Do you remember when Andy Murray burst on the scene and he had that good Wimbledon and then he went and played about nine out of ten weeks in in America he played every single event that there was and I mean as, and he said a few years later I, I would never do that again you know you just you're riding on adrenaline you just want to play everything but I I think I think in a way it's good for them at the start of their career. It wasn't Andre Rublev in this situation going into the French Open um, at the end of last year and actually had I think if I recall, he had a, a five-setter to kick off his, mm, his French Open did, yeah. run. That's right. Um, and he had, he had played the day before against Tsitsipas. Uh, yeah. Yeah, the Hamburg um, final was the first day of the French Open. Those two tournaments yes. overlapped. <laughs> <laughs> Which felt like a really big sort of chaotic deal at the time. But now, you know, tournaments overlapping. I must That's... say, Sinner looks better whenever I see him. I, I don't. I feel like I've seen snapshots of real excitement from him, but I don't think I've watched. It's it's only now that I feel like I'm watching enough of his tennis and under different conditions 
sometimes and today under fatigue mm. and yet he still won um he's he's mightily impressive so well balanced and uh oh very i mean what a what a first round him and Shapovalov. i hope that his health doesn't intervene and and it can just be a a really great tussle and i hope that that has a a decent crowd that match mm. under the lights on the rod laver arena because that is a no it's not on the rod laver arena Shall I just go? <laughs> it's on the Von Gilgong Arena. Under the lights on the Yes. Under the lights on the Von Gilgong Arena. Yeah, that deserves a crowd, doesn't it? Come on, that's a that's a showtime shot makers match. Yeah, no, it does, and I think it could be some night tomorrow night. Uh, the night session for the Australian Open because of that. I love it when there's a another match that's going on as well as the Rod Laver Arena one and hopefully another one on top of that. You know, it's great when there's two or three that are really capturing the imagination. Mm. So, I mean, I really feel like we should cover a Muguruza against Barty because in terms of sort of title contenders at the Australian Open, it's the biggest story and I saw it so I will be able to slightly claw back some respectability but I'm also on the edge of my seat to find out who of Dan Evans and Felix Auger Aliassime won their first ATP title overnight. So perhaps we should do the big reveal there before we build up yeah. to Muguruza Barty. Who, who do you think won? Who do I think won? I think Dan Evans won. And you'd be absolutely right. Really? Yeah. Uh, he won comfortably. He won 6-2, 6-3. Wow. The story of the match was that they shared the first three games and it looked really good. Auger Aliassime was playing beautifully, balanced tennis, attacking tennis, coming in. It was a lovely sort of contrast that you got Auger Aliassime trying to come into the net and and a bit of cat and mouse going on. But Evans... I mean, he was play. I think Evans is playing the best tennis of his career this last week. I mean, he's it's his first title. He's never won a title. He's lost two previous finals, but I think he's won several matches straight sets. The ball is coming out the centre of the racket now, and as though and he he's able to put it wherever he wants. It feels like there's total conviction and confidence in his stroke play, um, and his his tactical mind on the court is is one of the great watches really in in men's tennis these days. Uh, I um I called him the Brummy Barty during this match. Yeah, and, you got a uh, bit of pushback for that, didn't you David? I got a lot of stick for that. <laughs> hey, did you do it uh, somewhere other than our WhatsApp group to yourself? Yes, I did. Right. Yeah. So you did it to the WhatsApp group in the full knowledge that Matt and I were asleep. Yeah. Realized you were having a conversation with yourself. Yeah. And thought I'll put this on Twitter. That's that's where I'll get the uh, the, the positive reaction that I was looking for. Yeah. Mm. What, one or two people said, "Yeah, yeah, you're right. Backhand slice, and you know, big forehand, and you know, not that tall, and good hands, and all the rest of it." And then about a hundred people said, "He's nothing to compare to Bash Barty. How dare you!" And I got hammered. Mm. You have uh, been on Twitter before, haven't you, David? <laughs> yeah, just the eleven years, and mm. uh, yeah, I got I got I got taken down. Let's just say that. But anyway, um, it was a very good performance. And uh, but as as good a performance as it was for Evans, Ojeda Yassim just capitulated, and it was it was really weird to watch. I mean, this is a guy who's played seven finals now, fourteen sets, and lost the lot. I mean, this the you can't look at that and not. N- know that there's something going on in his head, that he he is freezing in some way in these finals because he couldn't put the ball in the court often enough. Mm. I still fall down on the side that it's more impressive that he's reached seven finals as a teenager than it is worrying that he's not won a set in any of those finals. But I don't think it's worrying, but I think it's alarming. I mean, 0-14. <laughs> is that not the same thing? No. No, I mean, alarming it's sort of, is worse it's, than worrying. No, but it's surprising to me. Right. It makes me. It makes me. What? Yeah, it's sort of glaring. How can he? Be, how can he have won zero and yeah, but lost fourteen? But I don't. But I think he'll crack it. Yeah, I think 
this match more than any was the one that stood out. Like in his previous finals, he's either been really early in his development or a big underdog. I mean, he's lost to Sitsipas, he's lost to Zverev in finals. This was a pretty 50-50 match against Evans. Both players in, in good form, going for their first title. And as you say, David, it, I watched some some of the match back this morning and the, the number of unforced errors Australia seem is racking up is 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 concerning um and I mean Evans is playing nicely but he's not having to do an awful lot a lot of the time Evans um Australia seem is the one making the mistakes and it's clearly in his head now he's, he's clearly he looked more nervous to me on the court than he does just in a in a normal match um I was, I was having a look at some other players to see whether there's a bit of a precedent for overcoming this sort of thing and the one that jumps out is Stan Wawrinka, lost six of his first seven finals. And the, that one that he won was a retirement against Novak Djokovic. He then developed into the best big match player on the tour for a few seasons. You know, he won all his finals, all the big finals. So it's certainly something that you can overcome. And I'm, I still think so much of Australia seems potential and he's doing all the right things, but... He needs a break in one of these finals sooner rather than later, you think. Um, I don't know whether playing a really sort of low ranked player would actually would actually put more pressure on him, but just needs to somehow get over the line in a final because until he until he does, this is gonna continue to be a question mark. So everybody's confident that Felix Auger Alessim will overcome this. Yeah. Yeah. It's He'll just right. it's just growing pains. Yeah. Mm. He, he looks okay. very cool in his new Adidas outfit, by the way. He, he really looks the part in that, I would I, say. I, Adidas, as they often do, are nailing it, I think. I like Garbini Magaritha's Adidas hmm. outfit. Yes. Like, he looks like he could wear anything and just be annoyingly kind of cool. Yes, he's no Carl Edmund, is he? <laughs> <laughs> that was mean. I shouldn't kick a, <laughs> kick a man when he's down. But bless him, the, the fluoro. Fluoro wasn't his bag, was it? Um, to Dan Evans, what do we know about Dan Evans that we didn't know before he won his first ATP title? Everyone loves to have the what's his ceiling discussion, don't they? What's his ranking ceiling? Well, we we think he's 26 in the world from tomorrow, and that will be a career high. Uh, I was just looking back over the history of his rankings. Evans had his first real ranking breakthrough in 2014. He'd already been sort of known as somebody who wasn't fulfilling his talent in many ways in his teens. And uh, and in 2014, he had that run at the US Open. He beat Nishikori and Tomic and got to 124 in the world. A year later, he was 772 in the world, uh, two years after that, he got into the top 50, 43 in the world. Then he tested positive for cocaine and was banned for a year, and he went down to 1,195. That's only two and a half years ago, and here he is now about to go to 26 in the world. So, I mean, it has been all over the place, his ranking. What's his ceiling i mean i remember when you were discussing it in the summer catherine in the studio on in amazon on amazon prime and i think i think you might have asked tim Hemman what his ceiling was and whether he was a, first of all you said is he a top 20 player and he and he said yes and i think we would most of us would agree with that he's very close to it now you said he will he be can he be a top 10 player and he said no and he sort of paused, but then he said, no, I think that's probably too big a, uh, a gap to, to bridge. I would probably say no as well. But, um, you know, he's doing pretty well, 26 in the world. And he caught, he needs to start having runs at slams. He hasn't got beyond the fourth round of a slam, and he's only done that once. He keeps getting knocked down in third rounds. Well, well the problem is he does seem to have a ceiling in terms of the beating the very, very top top players and you you invariably do run into those in the third and fourth rounds of slams you know like even playing the best ten of, tennis of his life unless there's a serious injury situation at play I don't think he's got a chance of beating Nadal or Djokovic mm. yeah um and uh, I think I think one of the very top guys is lurking for him in in round three this time around yeah, I think it's Nadal. And I mean, his first round is is Cameron Norrie. And obviously, we would expect Dan Evans to win that. I just slightly think back 
to the matches Dan Evans lost at Slams last year, and two of those were lefties. They were Nishioka and Corentin Mute. They're a little bit different to Cameron Norrie. Cameron Norrie's more of a grinder from the baseline, and I, 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 whereas Nishioka and certainly Mute can go a bit more toe-to-toe with Evans in terms of variety and mixing it up. And I would expect Evans to beat Cam Norrie, but that is a little bit of a banana skin, I think, in the first round. I th- that's, that is not easy by any means. If it, yeah, if he, the pressure's on. And the pressure's and Norrie, on. Norrie, Norrie will love it, mm. you know, the challenge, I He think. loves being the underdog, Norrie. And he, he scored several wins over Dan Evans last year in various Battle of the Brits events, didn't he? Um, okay, exhibition events, but still... In terms of confidence for Cam Norrie, it, those will count. Um, so yeah, I don't. I agree with you. I don't think that's a given, but it would be a, a massive disappointment for Dan Evans if he if he didn't come through that. Any anything else to say on that match that I didn't watch? Um, well, w- the the trophy that Dan Evans was given was a boomerang, and uh, it was one of several trophies of that ilk that have been designed by the Australian Open um, to to pay tribute to um, I think they had an indigenous artist and uh, and sculptor who was who was creating these these uh, trophies and uh, what was it that uh, I'm trying to remember one of the two of the others I saw um, Ashbarty I think oh, I've, I've spoiled the result of that one but Ashbarty got a wombat it's all right Matt I'm I'm I knew <laughs> Yeah, the ones I knew. I'll look back on that one. And Yannick Sinner was holding, I think. Yeah, she uh, got a wombat. Yeah, I mean a a wombat shaped trophy. Yeah, you'll right. love it, Catherine. Yeah, it's really cool. I really it's, love a wombat. Mm. Yeah, it's it's very very good as well. It's it's really well done. And the um and Yannick Sinner was holding a framed picture of a kangaroo some sort of i don't know exactly what it was but it was i don't know it was, all of it i really liked i must say obviously these are sort of one-off tournaments created for the purpose of this weird old week but um yeah it's really really nice um but the, the other thing was it's the first time we've heard dan evans give an atp level trophy speech kind of presentation speech and uh Short and sweet. He <laughs> <laughs> hit all the all the notes that you meant to hit and uh, got out of there as quickly as possible. Is that he how they it. do it in Solihull? He did all right. Yeah, was, there was certainly no no tears and no no uh, no kind of Oscar winning lineup of um, people to thank. They're just just He's off to play with his boomerang. Yeah. Is there somewhere a Grampians Trophy trophy? In, in the shape of some cute animal that's going spare then because um, since our last podcast when obviously we were discussing Serena Williams' uh, withdrawal ahead of her um, scheduled semi-final with Ash Barty, there were then a raft of withdrawals um, from various different tournaments. Naomi Osaka uh, pulled out of the Yarra Valley Classic. No Something one's saying like no, so uh, we'll go with that. Is it that or Gippsland, wasn't it? Gippsland. Gippsland. Um, yeah, Naomi Osaka pulled out of something. <laughs> Thanks for your help, folks. I, this has been. <laughs> I think she might have been in Gippsland, but I'm okay. Really Naomi Osaka. Naomi Osaka pulled out of Gippsland. What other um, withdrawals did we have? We had Serena Williams, we had Victoria Azarenka. Azarenka, who of course was in uh, Grampians. Yes. Mm. The Hard Quarantine Cup. Anyway, they decided due to scheduling and the fact that uh, the number of remaining matches meant that over the weekend, two matches would have had to be played in one day for either the semi-finalists and finalists or the quarter-finalists and semi-finalists. The Grampians Trophy final would be cancelled. And they would only play the semi-finals, and then they would divide the rankings points and prize money um, among the two finalists. They would divide them equally. So somewhere there's is what a koala. <laughs> well, no, I I actually <laughs> saw a gif of it was Annette Contivate beat Zachary in her semi-final, and then Anne Lee beat Jennifer Brady in 
her semi-final, both of those going to match tie breaks. And uh, I saw a gif of Contivate and Lee doing a bit of tug of war over the trophy, sort of friendly tug of war for a for a photo shoot that they were both holding up the trophy. Classic. Um, yeah. When okay. And uh, what was the trophy? I don't know. It wasn't an animal. It looked like a slightly more standard trophy, but with some nice illustration on it. I suppose they had less time to come up with that one, didn't they? Because it was a last mm. minute. Maybe it's just something from someone's cupboard. Well, I mean, and nobody ever actually ended up being able to properly hold it aloft. No. Which, look, I, I still think it's great that they, they scrambled that tournament together. It was the right thing to do. Um, it's good that it happened. I am uncomfortable with the fact that that was a, a WTA 500 event um, and those those ranking but the, the sense of legitimacy is is not there but look everything they were dealing with was pretty unprecedented so um, we'll leave that there and it, I, I think uh, look it's fantastic that they got that Ash Barty Garbini Muguruza final until it actually took to the court I was very anxious that one or both of them would uh, withdraw ahead of that, that there'd be some sort of reason why that match couldn't go ahead. We're so unused to having a match of that stature in the week before a Grand Slam, let alone the day before a Grand Slam. And although it didn't go to to three sets or or a match tiebreak, it was two highly entertaining, very high-quality sets of tennis, one by the world number one, Ash Barty. It was good, wasn't mm. it, Matt? Worth staying up for? Totally. Yeah, it was It was fantastic. Muguruza started brilliantly, just picked up exactly where she left off in her semi-final, where she crushed Vondrosova for the loss of just one game. She was quickly up a break on Barty, wasn't she? And, you know, we were messaging saying everything about Muguruza and is a statement as you said the that all black adidas outfit her tennis she was up a break she was looking so good and then and then i sent you a message <laughs> saying she's unplayable <laughs> and uh, everything changed <laughs> yeah basically <laughs> um and, and barty's quite sl- quite slowly but carefully worked her way back into the match improving her level all the time got back into that first set and then really the the sort of high note of Barty's tennis I think was that first set tie break where everything came together for her her forehand dictating the points hitting winners her slice being able to extract some errors out of Muguruza her serve she's she's such a maximizer of her serve she gets so many free points on it 11 aces in the match for Barty and she just grew in confidence as that as that match went on and and ultimately was the better player and, and thoroughly deserved the win. It was I always think the word that comes to mind when I watch Barty play is, is blend. It's such a lovely blend of tennis that she plays. Just she knows when to attack, she knows when to hold back. Her defence put Muguruza in some awkward, tricky positions, forced her to hit a few uncomfortable shots that I don't think she was having to hit against other players. It's it's incredible to me that Barty can take 11 months off or, or certainly not play a tournament for 11 months and come back and play at this level. I was listening to a feed with Casey Delacqua on commentary and she obviously knows Ash Barty incredibly well and she wasn't in the least bit surprised. You know, she she just said Ash Barty is so naturally talented. I, I expected her to play like this and I, I suppose to a certain extent I did, but... It's still impressive that she can pick up this form this quickly and just becomes even more significant, I think, that she landed in that top half of the Australian Open draw. I mean, I felt that half was really wide open, but having seen the way Ash Barty played against Muguruza, she looks in absolutely top form. She has to be a a strong, strong favourite in in that half with so many of the other contenders in the other half. Just... Just so, so good from Barty yesterday. And, and Muguruza was was pretty good as well. Didn't quite play her best. I think ended up hitting about 40 unforced errors, which is quite a lot. But she's in good shape as well going into the Australian Open. Yeah, re- really high quality match. And I think if a lot of those unforced errors were kind of forced because, you know, she came out not really hitting any. It was all so smooth and so... 
it was this perfectly judged um, power from Muguruza. But then Barty just sort of reeled her in and Muguruza felt like she had to go for more and go that bit closer to the line, you know, and uh, lines. And uh, so, yeah, I think unforced to an extent, but that's what Barty does to people. It doesn't astonish me that, that Ash Barty is still playing great tennis after 11 months away because of everything that you relayed about Casey Delacqua. You know, it's such a such a natural style of play. It does astonish me that those instincts for raising your level when required haven't been at all dulled. I mean, they looked as sharp as possible last night. That antenna for, okay, it's a tie break. I'll just find two extra gears then. I mean, that was... That was extraordinary last night and a real warning shot for for everyone else in the top half of that draw, I think. Mm. And actually, 11 months obviously is is a long time to be away from competition. But something we, we so often talk about or certainly used to talk about when there was non-stop tennis is the lack of time to tweak your game and work on your game. Barty's had a big chunk of time here and apparently she's changed the strings she plays with. I'm not exactly sure she's gone to some sort of natural gut, which apparently gives you more pop on the ball. And I don't know whether it was just sort of seeing what you want to see a little bit, but certainly when she was hitting those forehands in in the first set tiebreak and that second set, it was really coming off her string. She looked she looked really powerful. She was matching Muguruza for power on that forehand. And if if that's something that she's added to her game over 11 months, then it just makes her even better, I suppose. Mm. She's heavy favourite to come through that top half of the draw, isn't she, Ash Barty? Yeah, I would say on paper for sure. Uh, and yet I have still have this niggling feeling in the back of my mind that she's got a lot to prove at the Australian Open. Obviously, having not gone all the way, but a couple of her defeats, and particularly last year to Kennan, wasn't it? She lost two. And then nobody saw that coming, really. And I, I feel as though she is somebody who can look the best player in the draw all the way up until the point that somebody knocks her out and and it's just, and it ends mm. up feeling like a real surprise. And I think of Alison Risk doing it at Wimbledon and think of um, Wang Chung did it, didn't she, at uh, the US Open. You know, she looked unstoppable at Wimbledon a year and a half ago, to me, coming in as the French Open champion. And, and, I, and so, and I don't really know what it is. I don't really know whether it's, she has a bit of a letdown or the opponent raises her level and she can't quite go with them or what really. But um, I, I think she's, even though she's in, in the, the not so interesting half of the draw, she's in some ways one of the most interesting players in the draw. Um, her and Serena and, you know, there's everywhere you look, there are great players, but I'm fascinated to watch her. I think there is a stat that she's got better at the Australian Open every single year. She's she she's never had a worse result than the previous year. I think third round twenty eighteen, quarter final twenty nineteen, semi final last year. There's a there's a clear progression, a movement in the right direction, and a and proof that she can really handle everything that comes with being the top player in the world at at her home slam. As you said, last year she got beaten by Kenin. Kenin went on to win the tournament. So. You know, it's not a it's it's not a bad loss, and I I really think she'll handle herself well. And yeah, I'm certainly picking her to at least reach the final based on based on what I saw yesterday. Oiler alert for Matt's predictions. It's hardly bold, is it? <laughs> uh, more predictions news coming later. First, uh, the ATP Cup was won by Russia. Andrei Rublev beat Fabio Fanini 6-1-6-2 and Daniil Medvedev beat Matteo Berrettini 6-4-6-2. I dipped into a little bit of that uh, in the early hours of this morning. Um, is Rublev in the mix are words that I have written in front of me. No. Agreed. That is the official ruling, I think. No. Yeah. But it caused, a, it caused a lot of debate on Twitter. A lot of people think he... he could be in the mix, should be in the mix. By the official definition of the mix. Yeah, that it wouldn't surprise them if he won this tournament. For me, I need to see it with Rublev before I can before I can predict it. The ATP finals is still so vivid in my mind where he came up against fellow top 10 players and didn't didn't exactly look impotent, but he looked way less effective. 
I mean, the ATP Cup, by by definition, he's the highest ranked number two. He's played people ranked below him. And he was in, mm. he was incredible. He was brilliant. But we know he can be brilliant in those circumstances. Mm. There is there's still a barrier for him to overcome. And Medvedev is in his court. I don't think he's ever won a set against Medvedev. If if a draw breaks, he's absolutely the guy who can pounce on it. And if he can beat a top four seed, then that would give me a belief that he could go all the way. But un- until he does that, for me, it would still be a surprise if he won if he won the title. He's still just about outside the mix for me. I can't believe anybody wouldn't be surprised if Andre Rublev actually won this Australian Open title. I'm not saying he he can't. It's it's, it's beyond the realms of possibility. But everyone would be surprised. Come on. Yeah, I'd be very surprised. Uh, and I, that's I think our definition of the mix. He's knocking at the door of, of the group. But yeah, there's no evidence really. The the loss to Tsitsipas at the French Open, the, the loss to Medvedev, there have been a few of them. Yeah, he's he's on the outside looking in at the moment of so, the mix. So, so who put it on the agenda? I did. Oh. Yeah, yeah. Not me. <laughs> Everybody looking at me. It, well, you're usually the Twitter stirrer, David. <laughs> yeah, I didn't even do the tweet. Right, okay. Well, it, it's justified itself, hasn't it, I suppose? I was by... too busy getting abused by <laughs> Ash Barty fans. <laughs> uh, right then, other business. That is our 1700 Australian Open warm-up events dealt with. Just, oh, no, well, no, it's not. Well, just Gippsland. Which we right, which we haven't covered, which was a a victory for Elise Mertens. Oh yes, as you can tell, I, I watched that. <laughs> no, um, I saw the photo shoot and I saw the tweet from Matt Trollope, who said that uh, she'd won twenty seven of her last thirty four matches. Uh, and just one other small note: uh, Jamie Murray and Bruno Suarez oh, the yes. band back together and triumphantly so. Because they won mm. the title at the Great Ocean Road Open, beating top seeds Cabal and Farah. That's a British double, isn't it? Yeah. At the Great no, Ocean Road. No, it's Road. not. No. That's the other one. No. <laughs> <laughs> Catherine's disappeared from our screen. <laughs> when is this all over? Now. now? It's all over now. <laughs> okay, if I move on, you're not going to say, oh, no, we've <laughs> got to go back to Gippsland. No, it's I fine. can leave the Gippsland station i can drive down the great ocean road and i can arrive at the australian open are we all happy with that absolutely okay planning for your next trip elevate your travel style with quince quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway like european linen premium luggage options buttery soft italian leather bags and so much more and it's all priced at 50 to 80 percent less than similar brands Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hello, Tennis Podcast listeners. David here. Now, you might know that I love a bit of cooking, and I think I'm quite good at it. But if I'm honest, even I get fed up trying to work out what to do every night. That's where Home Chef comes in being able to put together a delicious meal without the long prep and the cook times, well, that's pretty cool. Home Chef provides fresh ingredients and chef-designed recipes conveniently delivered to your doorstep to simplify your cooking experience. They have over 30 options a week and serve a variety of dietary needs, so you don't have to worry about what to make ahead of time. Not only is it convenient, but it's economical too. Home Chef customers save an average of $86 per month on groceries. Now, for a limited time, Home Chef is offering Tennis Podcast listeners 18 free meals plus free dessert for life and, of course, free shipping on your very first box. Go to homechef.com slash tennis. That's homechef.com slash tennis for 18 free meals and free dessert for life. You heard it right. 
The pre-tournament press conferences for the Australian Open have been taking place over this weekend. Uh, They've been taking place in the middle of the night, invariably while other tennis is happening. It's all been quite the juggling act. Um, We have some quotes from Nadal about the kind of shape he's in. He said, it's true that for the last 15 days I've been suffering with the back. So here we are, which is the most Nadal quote ever. Here, Here we are. I tried a little bit today to serve again. Well, I'm doing everything that what's possible to be ready for it. That's the only thing that I can say. Today I'm still hoping to keep improving and hope to be ready for it. Um I've not dropped down for an eight from an eight out of ten on the worry scale on the basis of that. And how about you? If anything I've, I've gone, gone up. up. Yeah. Mm, yeah. I mean he looked I didn't. I wasn't in that press conference, uh, but the quotes just and any he, he can be somebody who lets you know how problematic things are. He can do that occasionally, um, but this, yeah, this is a concern because he was. He also said the good feeling that I arrived with has gone. What he means is when he got to Adelaide, I think he'd had a really good training block over christmas and all the rest of it and he felt really great going to adelaide and he did one he had one practice session there and some something happened he said it's not it's not a serious injury it's a it's a muscle issue of some kind um it's just whether it heals in time for him to be competitive and if he's just trying to serve at the moment i mean that is that is a concern yeah big concern i'm i'm here for nadal trying to underarm serve his way to the australian open title (laughs) (laughs) but uh yeah it is it is a concern um halep actually more positive news on on her back injury she she said she's not that worried about about her back she actually said that it was because she was playing indoors and the air conditioning was on and it was really cold that her back stiffened up she said it's happened to her at the french open before and she thinks she'll be fine for the australian open as long as she's not in the cold in the air conditioning again um so that's that's good news for hallett but agreed these these quotes from nadal are, are very concerning for his for his fortnight good time for dan evans to play nadal potentially <laughs> to be honest that is a very good point really i mean you know I, I, I agree with Matt. I think Dan Evans will have his hands full with Cameron Norrie. He might not win that. But if he were to get to the third round and either face a subpar Nadal or a, or a Nadal or just not play Nadal because he's injured, you know, there's, a, there's an opportunity there for somebody. And, and in that half of the draw, it's Medvedev's half of the draw, isn't it? Mm. Um, but you're going to get another player coming through there as a semi finalist if Nadal's not fit. Um, that's going to be very interesting. But let's hope he is because um, we're not going to get that many more years of Rafael Nadal. And, and he, at the moment, this niggle aside, he's just still hanging on to his peak, which is just extraordinary, really. He's been having it for the last 12 years. Yeah, it really is. Uh, Novak Djokovic uh, was asked about uh, the things that Nick Kyrgios has been saying about him. And he didn't rise to it, did uh, did Novak Djokovic. He gave a very long answer about how he respects Kyrgios on the court, respects everyone on the court, uh, says he's good for the game. Off the court, quote, I do not respect him, to be honest. So he um, kind of they, did rise to it. I mean, that's that. Yeah. I was surprised by that, to be honest, pleasantly surprised, mm. because of course he's not happy about it. Who would Who would be happy about being called a tool? by Nick Kyrgios, <laughs> because that's what happened. Yeah. Now, I, 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 I think Novak no Djokovic over the last year has, has made some almighty cock-ups, quite honestly, and deserves some criticism. Um, but equally, I also think that Nick Kyrgios, he goes for him every time. He's He goes for him all the time, which I also don't mind. That's fine, but I don't think Djokovic should feel that he has to keep his counsel completely all the time either he, he is quite within his rights to turn around and have a go back um, I'm, I'm i suppose i'm surprised he said he respected him on the court well i think yeah i mean i think he 
he knows he's a good player. I mean, he's beaten him twice. Um, yeah, I suppose so. If you've got a losing record against somebody, you've got to. Yeah. He knows he's a good player, but he and he's he could be way way better. Djokovic will know that as well. Um, but yeah, I mean, I'm pleased to see Djokovic stick up for himself a bit mm. publicly and just not have it a little bit. You know, let let everybody know that I don't like him either. Really, to be honest, you know, I don't respect him. Good, good for him. Yeah, nobody likes to be called a tool. Plus, they? it's fun as well to have a bit of <laughs> bit more. Uh, anchor, they are they? in the same half of the draw, but they wouldn't meet until the semi-finals. So there's absolutely no way we're getting pumped for that matchup. Kyrgios would be a potential third-round opponent for Dominic Team. Um, I think I think we're going to leave it to Nick Kyrgios to make himself relevant to us, aren't we? We're going to over to you, Nick. Force yourself into our conversation. How about that? Until, until his first underarm serve, and when he goes up to somebody <laughs> on the front row and says, "Where shall I serve on match point?" And then we're all going, "Oh man, this is amazing!" Yeah, so into it. Call someone else a tool, and I'm reeled in. <laughs> Yeah, all right. You got me. You got me. Uh, Iga Shiontek in her press conference. Uh, she's been talking about the pressure of being a, a Grand Slam champion. Interesting quote from her. She said, the biggest surprise actually isn't like really positive. So I would say I was always imagining that when I'm going to win a slam, I'm going to just enjoy it for the rest of my life. It's going to be rainbows everywhere. I'm going to be some kind of at peace in myself that I already won a Grand Slam and I reached my goal. The truth is that humans are like that. They just want more. I still like, I feel expectations, even though I did something great in the, on a French Open. I want more, basically. I feel more pressure and expectations. I also feel that it's hard to prepare for that moment. I have to kind of look back on what happened since the French Open and work with that right now. Kind of try to go back to my roots and just enjoy playing tennis, not thinking about other stuff that came along. Um... It's great to hear her articulate that so well, something that I'm sure countless Grand Slam champions have experienced in the past and kept to themselves because they don't want to show that vulnerability. I wonder if Sophia Kennan read those quotes and felt the real kind of kinship with uh, with Iga Swiatek. However, that does sound like a real struggle mentally. Riga Shviontek, that doesn't sound like she's in the most brilliant place, does it? No, I, 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 and it's one of a number of things that I've read from her and seen a couple of um, social media posts as well that just made me think she's trying to work this out, really, and it's not coming naturally just yet. Um, and I don't really expect her to have the best Australian Open, to be quite honest. Um, now that quote, that clip may be regurgitated when she's won the title, uh, and that's absolutely fine. Um, but she, I think she will get to grips with it, uh, just the same way she got hammered by Simona Halep at last year's French Open, and then went and beat her in straight sets easily the year later. She's a learner. I think she's somebody who will just keep going back, learning, and getting better. But just at the moment. There's a there's something about her, the way she's talking about the pressure, that I feel. I, I'm a little. I suppose I was a little bit surprised by it, but then I think of the person she is, and she is somebody who seems very mindful and very self-aware, and she's thinking about things a lot. That she's analysing it, and it's she's aware of it in a way that a lot some people just it wouldn't occur to them to get wound up about it or get concerned or realize that there are lots of people looking at it that weren't before um so yeah i i wouldn't necessarily expect huge things from a at this next tournament and that would be absolutely fine really yeah absolutely uh david you went to francesca jones's press conference and had yes. a very uplifting experience it was yeah like I, deta I, de I detail this on the podcast that never was um, mm. So I may as well do it again. <laughs> um, but I mean, the, the funny thing is, it, it was the first press conference that I've been in um, from over here at the Australian Open. And uh, oh, it's so weird. I mean, you know, the, the press conference took place for us around about 5.45am. And Ugh. there was myself and lots and lots of colleagues that I normally see 
ready for work and we're all sitting there in hoodies crouched around a hot drink looking thoroughly miserable was and, anyone uh, just openly in pajamas <laughs> no, nobody that I saw. Although pajamas did come up as part of the conversation, because friend Jones said that she had to go out and get some new ones because uh, she hadn't quite packed as she she should have done. Um, but there, on on the flip side, you got Francesca Jones, who's who's in Melbourne. She'd never been to Australia before. Absolutely having the time of her life, loving it every minute of it, and not hiding it, and aware that that makes us have massive FOMO. So slightly taking the mick out of us talking about restaurants and all this sort of stuff and looking so healthy and a little bit tanned and all the rest of it and we're looking miserable and cold and wrapped up um but she is such an engaging person aside from the backstory that we've talked about a lot i mean just the the sheer difference to her her approach her her outlook it's it's not like i don't think i've really heard anybody quite like her in terms of the way she looks at things i mean just a couple of um of samples from the, the she did a press conference and then she spoke separately with the british press afterwards and she said that um going to oxford or cambridge had been, had been her previous goal um before she became a tennis player she says i've i've always been I've always found the human brain fascinating and it's certainly something I'd like to look into post-career. Um, she says she has no real interest in social media. You, you won't find her just binge-watching Netflix. Um, she says, I'm quite quite an opinionated person and I don't want to be influenced, um, which I've, I found very interesting. Um, and she also was talking about um, her love of Italy um in her press comments and she says uh it's my favorite country i love the language i i i'll uh, i've been told by my the nutritionist that i can eat pasta every night so i'm going to and she says i can't say that i don't like italian men either uh as part of this press conference uh she was also asked well about, clear fran <laughs> she was also asked about um how it had been in the locker room and bear in mind this is a a young british player who Honestly, a month or so ago, I'd barely heard of, if at all. And she's qualified for the Australian Open. She's come through those qualifying rounds in Abu Dhabi. And she's gone into, you know, the main Grand Slam locker room. And she was asked whether she'd had any interaction with any of the players and, and got to know anybody yet. And she said Sloane Stevens had, had come over to her and, and, and told her that what she thought what she was doing was phenomenal and that she, you know she was really impressed with it and um and Fran just said I was I thought that was really something you know and uh, um and she said that Tamea Baczynski before uh, I think a year or two ago when she was in the juniors had heard about her story and come over and, and really been interested and supportive of her and she'd never forgotten that uh she says I will carry that in my heart forever because she came over and just spoke to me you know when i was trying to trying to figure it all out um but she was great was was fan she was confident she was making fun of us she was sort of you know not in a rush and just lapping it up really um and we'll see i mean she's got first round against shelby rogers which is not an easy first round a big hitting american player who will be quite the favorite in that match but jones is Hero really on the tour is someone like Nadal, somebody who's just going to give absolutely everything for every point. And I don't think she'll let herself down at the very least. I think she'll go out and give a good account of herself. Mm. And I will definitely be going to a press conference, win or lose. You've, um, yeah, you've really sold that to me. That was, that was very uplifting to hear about. Um, which leaves us just to talk about the order of play for the first day the Australian Open 2021. Uh, we start on the Rod Laver Arena with Naomi Osaka against Anastasia Pavlyuchenkova. Not bad, not bad. Just a gentle opener there. Yeah. That is a crap. I mean, what am I going to do tonight? I I'm commentating on this on Five Live on the night session, which means I I've really got to get to bed, you know, <laughs> and try and wake up at about four and yet that match is at midnight our time. What am I going to do? You've already pushed that back, David. You were saying five earlier in the week. Was I? Mm, I love oh, yeah. this. <laughs> You've been up since up as three, David. You shouldn't have trouble getting to sleep tonight, no matter 
how exciting the tennis is. Serena Williams against Laura Siegmund. But I'll uh, miss it. <laughs> follows Naomi Osaka and Anastasia Pavlichenkova. And then it's Dominic Team against Mikhail Kukushkin in the night session on Rod Laver Arena. It's Simona Halep against first name unknown Cabrera. Lizette. Lizette. That's the badger. Uh, and then it's Novak Djokovic against Jeremy Shardy, which good news for my dad is in the awake hours UK time. Although I'm sure he would set an alarm in the middle of the night to watch Jeremy Shardy. Uh, on the Yvonne Gulagong reader, Kirsten Flipkins opens against Venus Williams. Or I should say Venus Williams opens against Kirsten Flipkins, really. Uh, Angelique Kerber flying under that radar. She takes on Bernarda Perra. Uh, Alexander Zverev takes on Marcus Giron. And then the night session is uh, Petra Kvitova against Greta Minnan. And then it is Denis Shapovalov against Yannick Sinner. Is anyone wanting to change their prediction for that one on the basis no. of what they've seen? No? Quite happy. Still Shapovalov for me. Matt? I will stick with Sinner. Mm, I think I will stick with Sinner as well. On the John Kane Arena, Stan Wawrinka starts against Zhao Souza. Uh, Misaki Doi against uh, the Australian Isla Tomljanovic. Bianca Andreescu against Mikhaila Buzanescu. What time of the day, UK time, is that going to be on? Just about when David's waking up, I think. 4am, 5am, something like that. Excellent. That's a really inconvenient time for me because that's in the zone of you can't go back to sleep. That's just waking up at 5am which is yeah. unacceptable. And I really want to watch Osaka as well. And I really want to watch mm. Serena. So. <sighs> First world problems. Uh, and then it's Nick Kyrgios last up uh, on the John Kane Arena, taking on somebody that honestly I've never heard of and I don't know their first name. Their second names are Ferreira Silva, which are great. Mm. Who needs a first name? And those are your other two. Quite right. Um by the way, I think as well, from a British perspective, Katie Bolter is playing Daria Kasatkina as well yes. on day one. Uh, I think second on or something like that. Um, it's it's definitely middle of the night territory. Hmm. Yeah. How many yeah. Brits are reaching round two? We've got Norrie versus Evans, Bolter versus Kasatkina, Conta versus Yuvan, Heather Watson, Heather Watson versus Christina Pliskova and Frank Jones versus Shelby Rogers. Three. Yeah, th three. Yeah. Yeah, I like three as well. I mean, we're guaranteed one. Yeah. Three. Would anybody else like to reveal any bold predictions they're planning to make in the predictions competition in which we will be taking on? Drumroll, please. Don't know how to do one of those. <laughs> Okay, anticlimactic reveal. Pam Shriver has Hooray! entered our predictions competition, so the pressure is ramped up. I mean, I, I am a. Uh, she told me I should be scared last <laughs> night, so I mean, I am. Um, she's won twenty-one you, Grand Slam. You've got less titles. to lose this year, though, David. What do you mean? Well, you're not well, the last defending year champion. You were the reigning reigning champion. Yeah, but I'm the people's champion still, aren't oh. I? So. <laughs> Don't worry, Matt. We're we're wrapping. We're we're, <laughs> we're reaching a natural conclusion. Come on, Pam, bring it. <laughs> I know Pam has picked. Do you? Can you what reveal? You Go on. Well, I can certainly tell you in the men's, she's not picked Novak Djokovic. Ah, <gasps> Pam, what are you thinking? You tell... That's big, isn't it? Has she picked Medvedev? Yeah. She has picked Daniil Medvedev. Ooh, that's very interesting. Mm. Who's she picked in the women's? I think, I, I should check this, but I think Naomi Osaka. I think mm. she's got a Barty Osaka oh. final. Yes, please. Um, pretty sure she had Djokovic in the final and Medvedev taking him out. We should Oof. we should probably point people in the direction of Simon Briggs's Novak Djokovic article, shouldn't we? Mm. Yes, a very interesting piece, which I do disagree with, but I very much enjoyed reading. Um, or I disagreed with kind of the central premise of it, not with, not with every every word that he says in it. He's making the case that that Novak Djokovic's achievement of of 
winning eight Australian Open titles is underrated. And I certainly think there's a case for that. And um, the, and he thinks it should be compared more readily to Nadal's achievement of having won 13 French Open titles. It's that element of it that I that I disagree with. I, I think that 13 French Open titles is probably the best achievement in all of sport, really. Um, but he he makes the case that the fact that it's on hard courts, the most democratic of surfaces, kind of elevates the achievement. It's not a specialist surface for him in the way that grass is for Federer and clay is for Nadal. He says, I mean, there are so many wonderful turns of phrase in the piece, but he says, while Nadal and Federer, with their respective abilities, are effectively entering the foreign language category at the Oscars, Djokovic is up for best movie. Um, That is, yeah, that's a little taster of what Mm. you'll get in that piece. And it really is, it really is good. Yeah, no, I I completely agree. It's it's, it's wonderful writing. I, I do think that I'm not totally convinced that clay is such a specialist surface anymore, certainly in the last... 15 years where the, with the seat of power in tennis really shifting to Europe and so many players being comfortable on clay. Um, you know, if you'd racked up 13 or 14 French Opens when the American men who didn't like the clay were the top players, that that might be a little different. But for me, there are absolutely no asterisks against Nadal's 13 French Opens. But I, I certainly think Djokovic at the Australian Open has a similar effect on the feel of the tournament to Nadal at Roland Garros in that he he shrinks that mix and he makes you think of him as the standout favourite. He's got Nadal numbers when he reaches the end of the tournament. He's never lost in the semis or the final, which is something Nadal has at Roland Garros as well. And I think with Nadal getting so many French Opens, we can lose sight of how many Australian Opens eight mm. is and how incredible mm. it is that he's going for a ninth and he's the favourite to do that. You've got Pam Shriver worried with those <laughs> with those words, Matt. I, I also think because Australia starts the year and everybody's got this blank canvas and a training block behind them, the fact that Djokovic is the one that keeps on coming out on top yeah. is all the more remarkable. Mm. Yeah, so, so I certainly think there's a case that, that that achievement of eight Australian Opens is underrated. It's just that comparison with the 13 of Nadal that I, that as compelling as his argument is, I don't quite How, how many Wimbledons has Federer won? Eight. Eight. Is it better than Federer's eight Wimbledons? I would say it is. <sighs> I mean, eight it's is certainly eight. the case that, that the Australian <laughs> Open is, is more democratic and open than Wimbledon. I mean, the stats back that up, particularly on the men's side, that, that it's just been a, a stranglehold for the very top players at Wimbledon. Um, yeah. I said we were wrapping things up, David, and you've just opened a massive can of worms. <laughs> right, You're too you full of beans for someone that's been up since 3.30. It's really annoying me. I'm going to do the mascots and then we're signing off. <laughs> okay. You can do some peppy shout-outs and then go to Salford. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Chester, for one last time... Is right, our uh, rescue cat mascot of the week. Hello, Chester. Uh, I hope you feel you've got bang for your mascot buck this week. Um, Rogue is David's mascot. Very rogue. Zeus is mine. Hello, Zeus. And Scousel Mousel is Matt's. Hello, Scousel Mousel. Back in the limelight. <laughs> uh, Billie Jean King would be very disappointed with uh, her uh, chosen mascotty uh, Billie Jean this morning she's not been on her best behavior um there's something I need to deal with in the corner uh we will leave that there Chris Albert Lee is our executive producer top not bloke literally <laughs> top bloke uh and our shout outs are for Matt they are for Laura Pritchard hey Laura hello Laura Thank you, Laura. I'm playing. I'm playing it straight, Matt. Okay. Um, okay. Jonah Jakobsen. Oh, that's a tennis player's name, isn't it? Don't you think? Or a golfer? Mm. Jonah Jakobsen. I could just imagine on the 18th. It, I think of that as a sort of Norwegian name. I'm thinking Swedish. Swedish. Yeah. Just Scandi. Get in touch. You know. Let us know. 
just imagine it. Mats Verlander, Stefan Edberg, Joachim Nystrom and Yoni Jakobsen. Yeah. Jonah. Or Jonah. Jonah. Okay. Who could say? <laughs> <laughs> and finally, Sally Ann Dunn. All right, Sally Ann. Hello, Sally Ann. Three names for the price of two. Yeah. <laughs> like like that bloke Nick Kyrgios is playing. If you could have a double-barreled name to add on to Catherine, what would you go for? Well, my middle name is Anne, so I could oh, be right. Catherine Anne. Okay, um, then. I think I was almost called Sally. I think yeah. that might have been the backup option. <laughs> so I could have. So I would have been a Sally Ann, wouldn't I? There we go. Look how that worked out. out. <laughs> <laughs> We've been the Tennis Podcast. If you've enjoyed this, <laughs> there's 14 more to come over the next fortnight. If you haven't enjoyed it, buckle up. Uh, we'll be back. Forget about this one. <laughs> we'll be back tomorrow uh, with our first wrap of the Australian Open 2021. We're delighted it's happening. We're crossing our fingers. It all goes smoothly and they get decent crowds and they get that big slice of luck. They've been due Tennis Australia because um, we want two weeks of glorious tennis and two weeks of... I won't say glorious, but certainly tennis podcasts to accompany it. We'll be back tomorrow. Thank you very much for listening. Goodbye. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.